Hello and welcome to this episode of Eldrick Talks. In today's episode, I talk with Pauline Turner about her time travel series of six books that she spent 10 years working on and about how the support of her family made these books possible. As in every episode so far, she will also read a small passage of her first book, Secrets of the Nile. I hope you will enjoy this interview as much as Pauline and I did. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Pauline, how are you doing today? Yeah, good, good. We've got a lovely day in Sydney here, beautiful blue sky, ready to do another day of self-publishing and getting my book ready for the launch next week. Awesome. It's it's winter in Sydney right now, right? It's winter, yeah. Winter's a lovely time. It's uh, usually blue skies and you know mild temperatures. I guess you guys have very, very cold temperatures. We have something around sort of 17 or 18 um, Celsius so it's uh, it's quite pleasant. Little light jumper and you're done. So no little snowmans in the garden. No snowmans, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go over there to get those sorts of things. Did, did yeah. you did you were you born and did you grow up in Australia? Yes, yes, I'm a I'm an Aussie, um, and I was born in Sydney, and but I have lived in in London for for seven years in the past. Mm. Um, and now I've got I'm back here now with with my English husband and. Um, and our two daughters and our two pugs, Holmes and Watson. <laughs> and how do how do Australia and London compare? Uh, I think there's a lot of similarities, but we've got a lot more kind of space and living space and and breathing space. London's very crowded, very exciting. We don't have as much culture here as 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 they do in London. Not as many art galleries or. Not not as much excitement, but we can you know get to the beach very easily, and it's a beach with sand and not pebbles, <laughs> which is very nice. <laughs> and and weather wise, is it more? Are you more a fan of those? Oh, weather wise, yeah, yeah. London's permanently cold and grey, and and we're kind of always sunny here, yeah, unless we're flooding, of course, or or having bushfires. But apart from that, it's usually pretty good. But you're not a, you're you're not a fan of the nice, somewhat melodramatic weather in England. Uh no, not 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 so much. It's it gets a little glum, grey weather. I like it. On the other hand, I, I do like rain for I love rain to write in. Rain is a is a really nice thing. So I don't get really many many days here where I can sort of calmly write. I have to force myself. But when the rain comes, it's like you know, it's a, just a lovely feel to to sit and concentrate. It really makes me focus in on the the screen and the and the words. Mm. I guess I feel like I want to go to the beach every five minutes then. So that's uh, that's good for writing. Were you, were you more productive as a writer in rainy London than in sunny Australia? Uh, no, well, I really started doing the books um, when I got back here. Before that, I was way too busy in London to, mm. to do much writing. So I um, did a lot of writing courses and things in London because there's a lot, a lot about, a lot of great training grounds over there. But um, I didn't start until I got back here. You, you went to London for work, right? Uh, I just went there for a holiday, and I ended up staying for seven years. Oh. <laughs> that's what we do in. That's what we tend to do in like, Australia and New Zealand. We, we go over there and stay a long time. Yeah. Did you ever stay your visa uh, and hide from the police? Uh? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, there's a story. You'll have to read about that sometime. <laughs> how did you How did you get into writing? How did I get into writing? Well, that's um that's an interesting question. I've. It was one of those moments where. Where, where you, you, you know, it's, it, everything changes in a moment. I, I went to, I was learning public speaking and I went along to this evening class after work and somebody there was talking 
about how they wanted to be a journalist and it was like something switched on and that was it for me I wanted to be a journalist from that moment onwards and and then I pursued a career in journalism and you know and write it wrote all the time I've just been writing since then actually since I was about 19 and uh yeah it's been a long time since I was 19 don't ask me how this one question we won't talk about but but finally it feels like yesterday right it feels like yesterday absolutely yeah um, I, I started off by writing screenplays when I when I started creatively writing. So I was I spent quite a bit of time writing screenplays, um, and then after about ten years, um, I'd had some people buy um, options on some of my work, but nothing had really come to fruition. And so I decided to try writing novels, um, and that was that was about sort of ten years ago now. Um, so I've been writing a long time. It's just something that feels like breathing to me. Um, breathing and screaming, you know, writing is often torturous as well as pleasurable. It's nice having done it mostly, but while you're doing it, it's tear your hair out time. And yeah, mm. it's, a, it's an interesting hobby, but I think it's a, it's a lifelong hobby. The nice thing about writing is that you never seem to fully master it and there's always something to learn. And, you know, I really wish I could live 400 years so I could be a really good writer, you know, mm. but, uh, yeah, and a lot of a lot of writers also start very young, right? They are already in their childhood. They spin up little stories and write little little books. Quotations. Yes, yeah. yes. I think I wrote my first book when I was about nine. I've got it, I've got it in there still. Yeah, actually, um, okay. I was an I'm an only I'm an only child, so we we probably have are over overrepresented in in journalism and writing because we're always used to observing things. We we watch and and absorb it. And you know, from the outside, and so, um, so I think I've always been, you know, writing stories. And my daughters are both great writers, and they started writing very young. I think they're one of them first wrote the first little book when they were four, and we've got that here. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they're uh, they now critique my work, and they're very, very good crit- critic critics and um, story structure people. Um, it's just in their blood now as well. So yeah, it is a lifelong pursuit. Really. How does it feel to be criticized by, uh, by your children? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Have you got any children, Eldrick? No, not yet. Yeah, yeah, well, you never stop being criticized by your children. <laughs> but uh, in, in, terms of, <laughs> in terms of your writing, they're very, very good critics. They, they have, you know, they, they, they come at it from a very structural point of view and and from you know with, with much technique so they often manage to pinpoint things that I really need to to work on really well they're a really good you know sounding board um, as for the rest of the criticism I'm not sure about that but there's nothing I can do about it <laughs> my so, job this is that's more, more of a of a real objective approach and not like a mom he, we don't do it like this anymore <laughs> no yeah not like that no no thankfully not in the writing sphere that's our one sphere where, where we don't do that. <laughs> hmm. I want to ask a little bit more about the journalism part. Yep. What exactly was it that made you give it a go? Uh, it was the idea of writing, actually, and which is probably the wrong reason to go into journalism. It's um, because, but I loved putting words together. Um, and then you know, doing the journalism, um, it's it's a whole other thing. It's a you know, it's it's a very exciting and sort of edge of the seat kind of nerve-wracking job trying to get people to talk to you and find things out mm-hmm. that often they don't want to reveal 
Um, so you feel as though you're, you're like in the thick of things. You really feel as though you're in the middle of life when these things happen. You always seem to be at the centre of places um, where things are happening. What what kind of so, journalism was it really that you then focused on? Was it more the investigative five weeks of research or just something uh, no, exploded let's get over there? Yeah, I, I was well I did some features so that probably not five weeks of research, but you know, some research. Um but I did a lot of court reporting on, you know, cr criminal mm -hmm. cases, um, follow ups from that, which was very interesting. I, I haunted the courts and and um it's it's a very interesting place to be. Because everything's, everyone's at the edge of their seat there. You know, one's trying to sort of put someone in jail, and the other one's trying to stay out mm -hmm. of jail, and it's, and everything, you know, it's a really raw place to be. It's a. But I, I would imagine court, court journalism to be, to, to maybe sound exciting first, but when I think back, what was it, I think like two years ago already, the court case between uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, I watched the whole thing and. There were, I think, out of a uh, hundred hours, maybe ten minutes that were really exciting and interesting, and the rest of it was a lot of long and boring interviews of some witness who says, "I don't know anything. I haven't seen anything," yeah. and that drags yeah. over two hours. Yes, the thing is that they are very long like that. But I guess as journalists, we pop in and out of the courtrooms and we try to find the the, the good moments to be there to to hear the the main testimony. Mm -hmm. So. That's uh, that's always okay. really good. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and it's at some point then the then the justice system, let's say, was unsatisfying to you, and you decided, well, I want to create my own cases. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I was um, writing screenplays at the time as well, um, and I made a whole series, created a whole series around lit court reporters. Um, with, mm. You know. The full Bible with all the characters and the, the settings and um, that that one, you know, that that was really fun to write. And I wrote wrote a, f a feature film based on my experience. Um, mm -hmm. But it's you know, film is a, is one of those things. It's especially in Australia, we don't have a big industry here, and the people here, mm -hmm. you know, then then there's not much money to go around, and it tends to sort of stay in a, in a few hands and not go to outsiders and and. And when you go overseas to try and pitch anything, um, you need to have an agent um, or you can't actually pitch things and you can't get an agent without having credit. So it becomes this terrible circle of it's impossible to break in. And that's partly why I went over to novel writing. It seemed like it would be an easier way to break in. Of course, you know, from the outside, it always looks easier. And when you get in, you find it's not anywhere near as easy as you think it was going to be. You know, one stage, you, one stage is we all thought we'd write something and there'd be somebody knocking on our door, begging us and throwing money at us to, get, to take it. Oh, there were some fun times imagining that. <laughs> it's nothing like that. Yeah. So, sometimes it's, that sometimes it's, it's a nicer thing to just keep that dream and keep that imagination alive and just not, not tainted with reality, you know. Yes. Um. That's one to write about in an alternative universe. Maybe that's a story to write one day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I think... Novel writing sort of naturally rises out of this. Um, it's it's a, sort of a natural extension. I think a lot of um, novelists and creative writers are began, beginners journalists for the same reason. Mm -hmm. They like the written word and they like to find the, the drama in a scene, which is what we do in journalism all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, um, and, you know, sort of that, that's what writing's all about, isn't it? Finding that drama, the dramatic heart in a story and, 
and and letting it beat out. And I also heard that, especially, I mean, for you as a self-publisher, that's probably less of a issue. But that traditional publishers uh, are more likely to work with journalists who are then writing their debut novel because they can expect a certain work ethic, a certain discipline, certain skills from journalists that people who haven't worked in that field usually don't have. They know that they can deal with deadlines, they can deal with an editor, they know that what they're writing is not this beautiful, magical thing, but a piece of work that gets altered and that has to maybe fit a certain mold. And that in the end, that's just way easier for everybody to work with than to have the Let's say this this author that really thinks that what he or she writes is is this the special thing, the special gift from the gods, and nobody should touch it. Yeah, I think you you know you're onto something there. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, there is there is nothing like quite quite like the uh, the amount of work that goes into a novel. Like for instance, next week, um, my my books, my first book is launching on Tuesday next week which is a major thing for me after all these years of waiting, trying to get something out and not. This is my first chance. Mm. Um, and what, what's the, the number of times... It's, well, it's, it's a time travel series, and this is book one called Secrets of the Nile. Mm. It's a YA time travel series. But the number of times I just... The number of times it's been rewritten is, is phenomenal. I, I think I have probably read it myself a hundred times, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. It's been through, you know, quite a few beta readers who who have their say, and then it goes through, um, you know, sort of the story editor, and it goes through the proofreader, and then it, you know, it just it takes so much criticism. So many people have their say, so much criticism, and you have to sort of weigh it all up and incorporate it into your work. Um, you know, sometimes that criticism is hard to take, but you always have to, as a as an author, think, you know, it. Is it for me? Is it the right criticism? Because if if you don't, if you're not honest enough about it with yourself, you're not going to get the best for your book. And you always want the best for your book, so you do have to listen sometimes, even if you don't want to. You want it, you want it to be this magical, beautiful thing, but you realise that actually, at the end of the day, it is a, it is a story which which needs to operate on many levels for people. Um, you know, it needs to be tight. It needs to be well written. It needs to have the, you know, the right rhythms. It needs to have the right sort of. Um, climaxes and and the, the right you know sort of dips and, and and so it draws people through the story and so you know you have to listen to lots and lots of criticism hmm. so uh yeah i'm pretty used to that I, I don't enjoy it it's not the fun part of the job but i'm i'm used to it yeah and it did probably begin with the journalism you know all the all the edits from the sub editors who were not that sensitive to our feelings as journalists <laughs> uh, it's too long cut it yes exactly yeah <laughs> What's this rubbish? Yeah. Get that out of there. <laughs> you want me to print that? <laughs> a lot of, yeah, very choice words going around. It's uh, back and forth, but yeah, it's a bit of rough and tumble in journalism, but it's, it's not such rough and tumble here, but it's still the same kind of thing. You know, you've got to be able to stand up to a lot of criticism. And I know that, you know, I've read it all these times. My beta readers have read it over and over and we've made it the best we can possibly make it. But still, when I put it out into the public, you know, people won't all like it and they'll all have their own criticism. There's something that just keeps going on for writers, you know. <laughs> Let's maybe focus on on your book and okay. the whole process about it. How, okay. or let's say, when did you 
start writing it? When was the, the first idea where you thought, okay, I'm going to write this book? Okay, the first idea was uh, I was on a balcony in a, in a place called Etalong, which is this beautiful beach town about an hour north from Sydney. And I was there with my husband, probably, um, you know, three quarters of a bottle of wine in. And I thought, oh, you know, I'd really like to write a time travel series where the characters went to all my favorite places in history. And that's where it came. I Luckily, I wrote it down at the time, so I remembered it the next day. Um, and then, so then I decided, well, that, that's what I'm going to do. And, and the first place would have to be ancient Egypt, because that seems to me to be just such an amazing place with you know, so much mystique around it and uh, intrigue. And, you know, the, it's just got, it's, it's so iconic. Um, and so I started researching. I got the, all the books I could find, and I started building up this booklet book of notes on on the period um and then i wasn't sure how to start and uh a friend of mine was was participating in NaNoWriMo do you have you heard of NaNoWriMo yeah national novel writing month that's right it's um it's in november every year and novelists all around the world challenge themselves to write uh, 50,000 words in the in the one month mm. um and so so I decided to leap in. So instead of hesitating around the first page, I just had to sort of charge through, and I, I managed to write fifteen thousand words. Didn't do fifty, but fifteen thousand. But that, but I was off and running then. So I just kept going, and I had certain points in the story in my head. I knew I had to get to, but I just kind of wrote, wrote my way through them, and then you start like, with that. How, you go how? back and. How big was the, your your outline then before you started? Was it really just a few a few points, time travel, Egypt, and then let's just see what happens? Yeah, really, it was. Yeah, um, I, I think I was a little a little more free and easy than I am kind of now. But <laughs> yeah, I had um, I knew my main characters. My main character is sixteen year old Madison Bryant, and um, she's she's the um, the best friend of. Uh, Riley Sinclair, no, 16-year-old Riley Sinclair, who, who invents the time machine. So they, they're the two, the main two characters. Um, and I, I kind of created their parents and the, and the scenes at home. And, and then I leapt into the period, not, not really knowing exactly how it would begin and just went along on the ride. They found a family there that they stayed with and, they met, and Maddie made an enemy there. And I don't know, I, I knew I had to get to a certain point I'm not going to tell you what that point is. If you ever read the novel, you'll, you'll know what that point is in the novel. But um, I kind of just, you know, just wrote through it, just just sat down at that typewriter every chance I got at a month and and hammered out as much as I could and just let it flow. And Okay, did you really I mean, sit down at the typewriter? Well, you know, typewriter, it's a, the, okay. a computer. What's in the typewriter? Not that, not that old. Some that authors uh, still <laughs> do that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just sat there and um, tapped away and 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 got through the first part so the first the first book was only sixty thousand words and took me four months to write but you know since then it's become like eighty thousand words and it's you know been restructured and it's been you know if i had a i had a mentor who went through it with me for 10 months and we restructured it all and um so a lot of that has been chipped away and changed completely since then but at least i i managed to get into the period and i had all my facts from the from the Egyptian period that I built the story around. Mm -hmm. That's how I usually like to start. I start with the research and then I weave the story around what I've read so that I can um, kind of highlight the period and, and so it feels like it belongs in the period rather than trying to impose a story on the period. Uh, and with, with that approach that you chose, this 
basically let's just try it out you know i'm just gonna write it and see see where the story leads me yep. i feel like if i would go for an approach like that it would end in total and utter chaos and <laughs> i wouldn't know how to save the story there would be loose ends everywhere and things that just don't make sense at all so yeah. how much how much of that first draft uh, survived into the into the final version uh well actually it, it, it i think the basic structure um stayed and the, the scenes stayed a lot of them um but i think in the first part i was trying to sort of put as much historical detail as i could in so it was a bit sort of you know sort of um a bit narrative the narrative is a bit flabby in terms of having too much facts in too many facts in there um and so i had to strip them out decide which ones to keep and strip them out but yeah some of the scenes had to be rewritten completely because they you know they went down the wrong alleyway they went the wrong pathway and, and then you have to sort of pull it right back to a certain point and carry on but mm. at least the structure was there mm. um and so it was was easier to work within that structure so um, but yeah, it has taken me, you know, I was still editing up until last year. So that's 10 years it's, it's taken to get it right. And um, having been through the mentor, they went, went through my own family here, two, two editors, and I've got a sub-editor here. My husband's a sub-editor. He's actually not really a sub-editor. He's an actuary by day, but uh, mm. but he's a fantastic guy for detail. So he's always the one I go to to, to have, you know, sort of check the, the typos and everything and um, and then it's been through proofreaders and, and more editors. And so, you know, it, ha it is completely different from that first draft. But there's still the essence of that first draft is still there, still like, you know, still the flowing through it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I managed to pull things out of, of the ether by writing that first draft. The characters came out. And when I, when I started, went into them, and I know it's hard to believe this, but when I went into it, because it was because and this is the idea of NaNoWriMo is to try and write and not look back mm. so you you start writing you, you just keep going and then suddenly someone pops up and they and you give them some dialogue and that's dialogue is is, is my strongest point because I've been a screenwriter so um, you know as soon as I start hearing them they start coming to life for me and then you know then they've got their own character and they've got their own voice and so then you know then they're real in my in my head mm. I've, I've created them and how, uh, how difficult is the transition for you from screenwriting to novel writing uh it well i have to say i don't think it was that difficult i think um screenwriting is a great base to, to start learning because screenwriting has you can't have any flab in screenwriting people don't have money to spend um, on film that that goes nowhere. So you have to every scene when you when you're taught as a screenwriter when you go into a scene you have to know what you want to achieve in this scene, and you have to get to it as quickly as possible and get out of it as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And of course, in, in screenwriting, you have lots of things like jump cuts and things that scenes that can be just you know sort of very short but but placed next to each other and the placement of the scenes create builds a, a story rather than each individual scene being full of talking. Um, and so I feel as though I've already got the idea of, of getting to the nub of things. So each time I sit down to write a scene, I, I say, okay, right, now they're, they've arrived in Egypt, what's going to happen? I, okay, they see some people up ahead coming towards them, and, and um, then they see this, and, and I just drop down details for that scene where I want to get to. This, mm -hmm. Is this what's happening, the nub of this scene? And then I just let myself write narratively and put the dialogue in, and and I find you know at least I know where I'm going with that scene, what, what it has to achieve. And I think 
that's the uh, discipline of the screenwriter rather than the the novel writer who who sometimes doesn't know and just enjoys the language i'm, I'm, I'm probably insulting a lot of novel, novel writers saying that but um yeah i think um for me the, the problem has always been having pulling back on the dialogues I, i'm a, i'm very much somebody who likes to get into a scene and see it play out in the moment rather than spending a lot of time describing you know how you on the way there um and i think that's called the summary as you know um the balance between the summary and the uh the scene with, with the dialogue is always the hardest thing for me because i always am a bit too dialogue heavy i have to say well that's probably enough dialogue now so mm -hmm. i've got to try and for a way to, to to do something other than dialogue but um i always appreciate yeah. dialogue i always like it much more than a dry description of a place just you know people talking yes. and experiencing it it always feels much more alive and easier to read also yes it brings you into the moment and you sit on the shoulders of the characters going through the scene as it happens and that's yeah. that's kind of a screenplay thing and it's um uh, and i think that was i think that for me was great training um and so i would always recommend novelists sort of and if they have a chance to to try a screenplay once in a while because it, it does actually focus your mind on okay what what's what's the point of this scene um and and you can't put it in if it doesn't got a point and so it's like building blocks it's like those jenga blocks you build something up and 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 it makes the story rather than having everything told in every scene lots of slow plodding things um and there's the jump cut which is great so you know you you just jump straight into the middle of the next scene and with the line of dialogue something which can shortcut everything when you know from ending that scene and then starting the next day we got up at this time blah, blah, blah. you can just jump straight to it And sometimes it's it's you know really good to be able to do that, and I think I learned that from screen training. And would you describe yourself as a, as a history buff, or how do you come to basically choose a uh, story or a series based on historical places? Yes, I, I wouldn't call myself a history buff. I do love history, though, and it just feels like it's a lovely thing to do is to have a couple of months of research before you start because it feels like then you've got something solid to hang it on. I, I, I'm not sure how I'd write a novel without having to research something beforehand. I just wouldn't know kind of what the essence of it was going to be. It's, um, and I think, you know, just, just creating these 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 uh, time periods is, is such a delight. You know, they're all time periods that I'm, I'm very interested in and to be able to recreate yourself walking down the street. I've tried to make it very tactile um so people can feel like they're on the street so that in book two they're in medieval england you can get all the scents that go with that and uh, and in book three they go to the wild west um and in in book four they go it's the pirate era and in book five it's edo japan and i've tried in every every time to to make people feel like they're in that moment so they can feel like they're walking along those dusty streets mm. um have I you Have you written the entire series already? Or? It's all written, yeah. The whole mm. series is written. Books one to three are coming out this year. So this one's coming out, the first one, Secrets of the Nile, is coming out in next week. And then two months later, Revenge of the Black Knight is coming out. That's already done. I'm just rereading the book for the millionth time to check and triple check and millionth check mm. on the typo. Um, then uh, we've just, the Secrets, uh, sorry, the... Um, Shoot out at Death Canyon, book three, set in the Wild West. It is just been typeset. So they'll be all out before Christmas. And then next year, the other three will come out. They're at a, they, I'm still editing them and doing structural editing on them, but they're all the stories are written. And so I know the ending. Okay, I mean, so this is one of the things 
I, I have to ask, this is a very unusual approach, I feel like, to have the whole series written and then just release them one book after another instead of just yeah. maybe writing book one and then releasing that and then writing uh, book two. Exactly, exactly. I think that's the thing. Um, I feel as though I'm very blessed that, that what happened, which was um, I started writing and I, I thought after the, after the first book, I thought, I wonder if I could do it again. I started re researching medieval England and I just started writing and kept going until that one finished. That was, that was longer. That was about a year and a bit. And I thought, I wonder if I can do it again. And then I researched the Wild West and the research of the Wild West. Yeah. Why, didn't you, why didn't you then publish the first book when you were already writing the why didn't I? Yeah. Well, I, I guess I was, I was thinking at a certain point I was going to start querying agents and querying publishers. And so I started around about book three or four. And I, I, I tried to query those agents for, for five years while I wrote. So I wrote to about 110 agents during that time. I kept putting off the publishing of it. Um, I kept I kept dragging it out because I, I was a bit afraid of, you know, somebody rejecting me and I, I didn't know, I didn't want to stop. And eventually I realized I got to the end, you know, with the querying process, I got to the end and I, I didn't have an agent. And then I thought to myself, actually, you know what, this is a great thing because that means that I've got to write the series that I, the way I want to. I don't have anyone telling me, well, no, this has got to happen and this has got to happen. You know, for the sake of the audience, this has got to happen. I now got to the end of the, my run because because I've been querying for so long, probably pretty slowly as well because I was busy with the work, with the um, with the writing. But I got to the end of my run and I realized that I could write it. I've written it. I'd finished it, and now I could go back to the beginning and, and shape the whole series so as if it was one big story arc. And it's kind of a privilege to have done that um, because if I had have gone out of book one and somebody had picked it up, maybe then um, they would have had more say. You know, if, they were if they were a traditional publisher, they would have wanted to have a say in how it went. But this way I've got to do it all myself. I've, I've had been able to control it. I can tell you, you know, sort of the, the last book took me five years because I was frightened about how I was going to end it. And it's ended so well in the end that... Um, It, I'm, I'm so happy with how it ended and, and once you know how it ends you can really go back and, and reshape all those first few books so it builds to that nice ending and I, hopefully that means it'll be a very satisfying experience for readers because it's not just it's not just one book after the other trying to sort of fit them all together but you know with some deliberate intent hmm. of getting to a certain point and so, um, it's a nice thing it's probably a similar experience like when you're watching a series and you know that all the seasons are out already and the season is done and it's finished and it has a good end and not as it is oftentimes right you have season one and two and then it gets yes. cancelled and then it ends with a cliffhanger so oh yes i hate that i hate that yeah i mean i'm i'm, I'm re-watching one of my favorite shows at the moment breaking bad mm. Do, have you seen breaking bad of course of course yeah and that is the classic i'm i've They really ended that well, and I felt as though they had the time to, to um, you know, create that arc really, really well. To really, mm -hmm. but I, I feel today people who are, are writing series they, they're under a lot of pressure of time pressure because the networks want to get them out straight away, and so they don't have a time to sort of look look to the future and look to the long distance and start planting seeds of things that are going to pay off six seasons later, mm -hmm. and so you're not quite that same quality of arc that you that you did and this is the same with my book you know because i put off going out into the big wide world for so long and just kept 
you know, being in my light, my writerly attic, <laughs> tapping away, preferring that, actually having to go out. And also because it's so hard. I did send it out to a lot of people, but nobody wanted to really look at more. Um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm arrogant enough to think it's not because the writing was bad, but because there's just so many people, they didn't give it any chance. And so of those 110 agents that I queried, um, not one person asked me for any more work. And I'm sure that's because they are deluged with with um, new writers and they've only yeah. got like a very small window for new writers. Yeah. And so, you know, I kind of thank them because this has forced me to go down this path and I'm very happy with it now. It's, it means I've got control of the story and probably of the publishing too, mm. as much as I, yeah. What, what kind of feedback did you get from the from the agents other than I'm not interested? Uh, nothing, nothing really. I mean, most of them, mm. um, it's just silence because they, they are literally so overworked and so flooded mm. with um, with stories. They just say in their application, if you don't hear from us in three months, assume no. And so it's like this just echoing silence that, that, that happens. I imagine that would be a super frustrating experience, especially when you then contact as many agents as you did. I would, yes, I would probably yeah, turn crazy at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily, uh, the writing community on Twitter is we're all going through the same thing. So I knew I wasn't alone. That helps a lot. Um, and well, I, I went, I ended up, I went through about 70 publishers as well. And I, Only three asked me for any <clears throat> work. Three took the full manuscript. Um, and I did get offered a contract from a couple. Um, but they were small publishers. And their schedule wasn't the same as my schedule. So they wanted to release one. And I'm thankful for this publisher, these publishers who were interested. You know, it's nice that they believed in, in me. But they wanted to release one, one next year and then one of the books each year after that. And that schedule didn't work for me. It feels like that's not the way people want to read a series, especially YA series. Um, yeah. You know, if you're a young adult and you would like a book now, you don't want to wait till you're 25 to get the last one. So yeah. you're growing out of it so, by that point. Yeah, you're growing out very much so. So, And then all the momentum gets lost as well because the books take so long to come out. Yeah. So, yeah. So I decided I declined those contracts um, and decided, well, I'm going to take it into my own hands and and get it out into the world you know my own way but i don't do it by myself i have a whole team of people around me i've got a i've got a, a professional story editor i've got I've, i've got a professional proofreader i've had, had the covers made by you know an artist very very good artist um and i've got lots of people who are really good writers who who advise me in the, in the process so i've got a team of my own it's just that i'm not i'm not a publishing company per se so I'm, you know, I'm hoping that, that the books will do well. I know that I'm up against it because as, as an indie publisher, we can't get into the bookstores as easily as, as um, the traditional published can. However, we have a lot of resources to help us get out there and there's a whole industry set up for indie publishers. And so I'm hoping that I can, you know, claw back some of those people who would have seen me before if I'd been published traditionally. Um, and... This whole building your own team thing, did you from the very beginning know that you have to do it like that or did you try it yourself and then figured out that a team might be a better idea? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I think I, I thought I might be able to do it myself, but then I realized that, you know, I, I'm up against publishing houses where they have dedicated, um, you know, editors of all kinds and they've got plenty of money to spend on it and that I needed to you know, make sure that I, I match that. So I'm spending quite a bit of money per book, putting my book out. 
to, to make sure it feels like it's it's on par with them. I, I do feel as though the, the the quality of the writing and the editing and the quality of the proofreading and and of, of the covers has to be you know of the same standard as the as the traditionally published. Or nobody will want to you know will want to consider your work. So you know if you want to fight with them, you've got to you've got to be armed like they are. So yeah, I, I decided to bring people on board, and I'm so glad I, I did. Because they certainly have added, added a lot of value, help me, you know, get it to a tighter, tighter and tighter um, state. I mean, as you said, I'm a I'm an ex journalist, so I already am very, you know, looking to always, you know, keep it tight. Um, you know, I don't any flab. I'm constantly reading it to to listen to the cadence of the sentences to make sure they fit together to make you know sort of to to make it a bit poetic, but also very. Um, you know, move, moving the story along at a clip. It's in at YA. It's an adventure. Um, it's a fast-paced, um, and I feel like it has to be tight, so people, you know, can cling on and stay with me. Yeah. And do you have in your team somebody for every aspect of of indie publishing, or are you doing some of the jobs yourself? Like, for example, is that you have somebody for your cover? You have editors. Do you also have somebody for, let's say, marketing? No, no marketing. I'm the marketer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's uh, that, yeah. I'm just sticking with myself as a marketer. I, I don't have anyone. I might actually bring someone on board if I if I find someone who seems right. But but at the moment, I, I'm, I'm you know, it's, it is lovely to be able to to do something different. And the marketing is completely new for me. And so you know, it's it's quite a challenge. I mean, it's uh. It feels a hell of a lot like I'm talking about myself from a book all the time lately, though. But but I guess you know I'm just trying to get the word out there. But I really like. I, I can tell you the world of self-publishing is very well trodden now. It feels like there's so many um, supports for for writers out there to to help them get through this. Yeah. Things that I never knew existed before, and it's yeah. it's amazing what it's there is there. And, and It's definitely a different world than it was 10 or 20 years ago when the whole social oh, publishing yes. thing came up first and there was a lot more, let's say, prejudice against self-publishing and now I think many people realize that it's, especially now that more and more famous authors switched from traditional publishers to self-publishing because they figured out that if you do it in a smart way, It can be way more successful, and you can, as an author, make a lot more money than going with a publisher, because your royalties yes. are higher, and you can, you can make the decisions that you feel are, are right for the book. Yeah, that's that's quite that's quite right. It's um, and I I, I have to say though that money isn't the, the main concern for me. Um, I, obviously, it'd be lovely to make the money, but it, it's it's really getting a, an audience that I'm keen on. I'm keen to make sure people can can see it and, and therefore make a decision whether to buy it or not that's the mm. the big thing is 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 being able to get people to find it that's the the number one thing um mm. and i mean some people do make a hell of a lot of money but that's not why i went into it i think going into writing these days thinking you're going to make a lot of money is you know you, you're going to be sadly mm. disappointed <laughs> because it's uh it, it is a labor of love and uh for me it really is a labor of a lifetime of you know kind of love But let's talk about money just a little bit more. Would you <laughs> would you mind maybe giving us a rough breakdown of how much you invested in your books? How much I invest in my books? Okay, yeah. Well, um, I I pay for a, a cover artist, um, and the covers are around about a thousand dollars per book. 
Um, I pay for a, a typesetter. Um, it's about the same price. She, she does beautiful typesetting. I pay for a, a proofreader and again, about the same price. And uh, the script editor is about the same price again. And occasionally I need sensitivity readers as well. Again, same price. So we're talking, you know, five to $8,000 per book that I invest. So this is a big investment for me. Five so books I, in total? Six, six books in total. So um, I, I, I also have to pay advertising. And I'm not, I'm not advertising a lot, but, you know, a bit here, a bit there, a bit here, a bit there. Uh, you know, it sort of adds up. So um, I'm going to have to sell a lot of books to even kind of break even. Yeah, surely. And um, with, a, with a sum like that, I imagine that it's, I, I would imagine that there would be at least some kind of small argument within a family when somebody decides, oh, by the way, I'm just going to spend $30,000 on these books <laughs> that I'm yes. writing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, my family's very supportive of me and um, we're just hoping that that it becomes a good investment because, you know, you, you do have to present a good front with the books and, and um, this is the only way I know how to present a good front and that's to get good people to help me. And, you know, they, they, they don't do it for nothing. They, they can't do it for nothing. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're investing. I, I look on it, you know, I'm, it's like I'm a startup. I think of this as a startup. If I was starting up a business, um, you know, sort of, I'm, I would do all the all the work in the beginning. I'd invest all the money in the beginning, and then at the end of it, I'd try and sort of release to the public and hope to make it back. It's kind of the same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I guess startup can be a lot more expensive than this, but this is uh, you know, this is the, the culmination of a lifetime of writing, and uh, I feel like I've got to give it my best shot. So we're giving it our best shot, and yeah. uh, you should see the covers. Wow, they're gorgeous. The covers are gorgeous. <laughs> I think. That's, I have to do a plug for my my cover artist Holly Dunn. She's done some beautiful covers and they look gorgeous together. And uh, I'm sure that's going to help if if people ever find the book. That's the thing they've got to find it amongst the millions of books out there. You know, swarming the the book stores online. Do you have that's some, the challenge? Do you have a set expectation for how many books you feel like you you definitely want to and need to sell in order for this to, to be sell. somewhat of a success? Well, that's a very good question, and uh, I think that that's that's one that all writers should ask themselves because otherwise, you just never feel as though you achieve anything because you you always want more. So I, I'm thinking if I can sell a thousand books um, in each, you know, six thousand books, like a thousand of each one, then that I'll call that a success. Um, I mean, it's a, well, to be honest, it's a success having even got this far. It's a, uh, I feel that's a success. But if I sold a thousand, I would be happy. I'd feel as though. Um, but if I told 10,000, it'd be even better. But 1,000 is my mark to say to myself, right, that's it. You, you have to be happy now because you've, sort, you've made your mark, you know, yeah. sort of. And if you would sell um, less than that, would you? Oh, I'd be a little disappointed. But I guess, or... Oh, no, I'd never stop writing. No, no. It's, I don't think sales can determine my writing. It's, I'm, uh, also, now I'm, a, I'm a sort of becoming um, a, a, a well-trodden path for the indie publishing. I can publish a book anytime I like now I know how to do it <laughs> it's fantastic I've already got my next project in mind but that'll be another year before I can really put my mind on it um, so yeah I'll have a year to think up ideas while I'm doing the editing and the sub editing and the you know sort of the proofreading and everything that happens over the next year to get the all the books out by the end of 2024 that's my plan and you also brought a little passage from one of your books right oh yes it's just the first page 
And this is Secrets of the Nile, book one of the Time Travel Chronicles. If you're reading this, it may mean I'm in trouble or that I don't exist anymore. Time travels like that, here today, erased tomorrow. My name's Madison Bryant. I'm 17 now, but I just turned 16 when my friend Riley Sinclair built his first time machine. This is my account of events that followed. When I'm done, I'll leave sealed copies with people I trust, instructing them to break the seal if I disappear suddenly or if my name no longer seems familiar. That way my story might survive, even if I don't, and serve as a warning to others. On time travel and its risks, there's a lot to say, but a couple of points are worth making up front. First, the consequences of our actions, no matter how minor or well-intentioned, can be devastating on an epic scale. And second, if time were a person, it would be a mugger waiting in an alley and you'd never see it coming. Thinking back through all that's happened in the past 14 months, the places I've been, the people I've met, and the events that cascaded through the time continuum to bring us to a dark place. My thoughts pull up outside Crow's Nest High School one Wednesday in September, and I marvel at how the beginning of the end seemed just like any ordinary, boring school day. That's it. Six books, five historical periods, all researched at length, um, almost 600,000 words, um, and that they've been edited that many times, and the page that got the most editing out of all was the one I just read you. <laughs> page one, book one, a thousand times editing, and then a thousand times more. <laughs> when you edited it, I think at some point you said that you re rewrote everything a hundred times. Do you have set draft numbers? This is draft one, draft two, draft three, or is it just a continuous improvement of everything? No, no, I have draft numbers and they go very high, very high indeed. How high? <laughs> uh, well, I've got one here I, um, for book five. I can see that I've got 47, version 47. And then I moved into another, you know, sort of, you know, now it's edit one again. But you know, we got right up to 47 before I, I moved into the next count. And this book five is not even, you know, fully edited yet. So it goes through a lot, you know, before I even get to the editor. I've been through it a dozen times myself. Mm. And then I, you know, my daughter's both go through it and then my husband and then you know then I go through it again then it goes to the editor um, and the and to a number of other readers as well who give me their views and you know on we go on and on and even the, I'm just hoping somebody doesn't say it doesn't seem like it's edited well enough because it really is <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you said that you're already working on your next project well I've already got ideas for my next project and it's, it's going to be a historical thing again I, I, I can say I better not say too much else because it might deflect from this one. <laughs> First six books, I'll look at the next one. But is there already a time plan for the next project? Do you already have another 10 years planned out for that? Or? Oh, no, no. The, the next one, I, I think, will be just a one book. And I, I will, um, now that I know how to self-publish it, I won't be waiting around for 10 years for, for people to come back and tell me they don't want to, you know, they don't want to publish it. I'll just be publishing it myself. You know, I, I know how to do it now. I have my own publishing company. So, uh, <laughs> Do you have a, have a set rhythm in, in mind, how you want to release books in the future? I've got the dates already. Um, I'm, so there's going to be three this year, one, um, one in July, one in September, one in November. Then there'll be a box set. 
And then next year, it'll be the same. Next year, July, September, and November, there'll be a box set with six. Okay. But for the released. next project? After the... The next project? I, I know. I think I just have to give myself a bit of a break to, to write it as and as when it comes. Mm. It's, uh, yeah. It's, I'm thinking of ideas now, though. It's letting in my, the ideas marinate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, just one second. Okay. I probably have to go soon, actually. Um, I can, the dogs are in here with me now. <laughs> yeah. Just making sure that we don't forget any important question. Do you write your questions down before you do your interviews, or? Yeah. We yeah. Actually, we actually get uh, through everything. Usually, when I when I um, when I did the other interviews uh, many years ago, I had every question written down, and I had a I really had a, a screenplay for the interview, uh, but that always depended on the interview guest answering in a very specific way, and not. <laughs> Like bridging from one topic to another because then everything would would end up as a mess. All apart, yeah. So now what I'm doing is just I'm having basically topics and I know what I kind of want to talk about and what I kind of want to ask. And especially now after having done a couple interviews again, I kind of know how I want to ask certain things. And so yeah. it's it's much easier to jump between topics as well. Yeah, I think it's probably because you're more experienced as well, isn't it? Because you understand, and you're a very good listener, I think. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, because uh, yeah, people do segue all the time, and and uh, you know, sort of, it's uh, it's tricky, isn't it? So you you have your base. I, I used to write my questions down and then not look at them, but basically they were there just in case. Yeah, yes, it's a bit difficult because I want to let you and the other authors. I want to let you talk. I want to let you. Um, explore your own answer right but mm -hmm. at the same time when there's something interesting in that answer i kind of want to want to ask again right i want to get deeper into it but when there are five different interesting points in that answer where do i start so this, yeah. is, this is a bit of a problem right now but i hope that i that i did a good job today Yeah, I think you did. I think you did great. And yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess for, if it comes to indie publishing, that the thing that I might want to say one more thing, and that is that, um, you know, I, I was like a lot of a lot of people, I thought that I'd be traditionally published. Um, I thought that if I did, I was an ex-journalist and I had a, I did have a famous writer who was a mentor for me, Catherine Heyman. She's an Australian writer, a very well-known Australian writer. And she's, she was my teacher and my mentor. Um, I thought if I had these things and I worked hard, then I would be published traditionally um, and realized that was not the case. There's just so many people in it and we don't know what's going on. A lot of traditionally published authors don't have the control. They don't, they don't get to see the stats. They don't get to feel like they're, they're as much a part of the process as I am. And I, I really like that sense. And I think a lot of people who do self-publishing or indie publishing You know, have realized that there is an upside to it. It's not just, you know, it's, it's not just the second prize in terms of 
the way to go about it. It's actually an alternative, and it's um, it's a good alternative too. Yeah, it is expensive, but it is also something that uh, you know that that's satisfying because you have control. So if you, if a, if somebody who's writing their debut novel would approach you and would ask you, should I self-publish or should I try to find a traditional publisher? What would you suggest? Well, I would I would tell them to to turn leave no stone unturned to, to to go out and try as much as they can because um, I know you know I I feel as though people feel as though traditionally published is is the best and there is definitely advantages in that because they get to go into the bookshops and because people. People, you know, have have you know recognized traditionally published as being sort of a high standard, whereas in indie publishing we have to prove ourselves a lot more because there's you know there's all kinds of standards of books in the indie publishing world. So, you know, so maybe somebody read one once that was no good, and and I think we're all like that. Yeah. Um, so that there's that, but but I would say that if you can't be traditionally published, um, you know, you could look into self-publishing because it is actually a very satisfying process and. You know, some people are very good marketers themselves, and a lot of the traditionally published people have to do their own marketing to suit. I think they expect you nowadays to do a lot of social media and a lot of your own promotions anyway, even when you're um, traditionally published. No. But uh, you know, as as a, it, this this is not sort of a second tier thing. This is actually a, a new challenge, and it's it's kind of nice to have your hands on the wheel and be the one you know the, be the one guiding where you go and not not be just calling up to find out how things are going and waiting to hear and things like that. It's kind of nice because you're, you're the one who is, it's, it's, it, the buck ends with you. It starts with you and it ends with you. And, you know, you, you do the best you can and you give it your all, you know. So I do feel it's, it's, it's for many people, it's, it's a great option. And it might be one time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to traditionally published, to being traditionally published for another novel. But some novels may, may lend themselves towards you know in doing indie publishing maybe one that's not that's more niche or um and then you might want to work with traditional publishers for others i think that that's certainly worth considering as an option Pauline, where can the listeners find you all right i'm i've got a website www.paulineturnerwrites.com and that's pauline p-a-u-l-e-n-e pauline turner writes Com. My mother told me I was named after a German model. I don't know if that's true. Um, that's why she spells Pauline that way. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know that. And the, yeah, me either. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's my website. They can find me there. And my book, Secrets of the Nile, it will be is, is we're going wide, so it, it'll be on all major online platforms. If they just look up Secrets of the Nile, Pauline with an E N E Turner, they'll they'll see it there. And I think they'll all even see my second book starting to appear as well, Revenge of the Black Knight, mm. set in medieval England. And on social media? And on social media, yes, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. Pauline Turner, Time Traveler. It's my tag. Pauline, thank you so much for stopping by and for doing this interview. It was lovely to talk to you, Eldrick. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eldrick Talks. You can find all the links to the socials and the books that we talked about in this episode's description. New episodes are coming out every Friday. 
For more information about upcoming episodes, head over to elric-talks.com. That's elric-talks.com for more information about upcoming episodes. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.